Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. All right, diving in this episode, we have Autumn Whit Boyd, who has become a friend over the years. She is an experienced and relatable lawyer who helps million dollar coaches and online educators reach their big goals. And that is like legit. Like we talk a lot in this episode about legitimacy and integrity. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed about getting to know Autumn is where we kind of meet and where sometimes there's friction points in the way that we see things. But I've learned so much from her and look up with her look up to her so much um, she's been in the game for a long time with some really amazing clients and so you know that what you get from autumn is the real deal um, we have we're so lucky to know so many great attorneys and I think that one of my goals uh, for this podcast is to bring people to the forefront that are trustworthy and can help us and that are not going to be we're not going to have to worry about the integrity behind their business or what it is they're qualified to do or not qualified to do. And Autumn and her team at the AWB firm guides online businesses as they grow on the legal side. So she has really experienced a lot in her own business that she can translate over into what online business owners like us need and a lot of expertise in copyright and trademark issues. But the firm offers full legal support. So full service down to the wire including employment, um, all kinds of different stuff, which we talk about um, there and the clients that we share and how we're able to kind of play both sides a little bit. Um, Autumn lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is such a fun word to say, um, with her husband, Dave, and her twin boys, Sam and Tyson and daughter, Vivian. She talked a little bit about being a mom and moving away from working in traditional law, um, a little bit about her own toxic boss experience, and we dive into a uh, toxic flexibility. Um, so as we're learning how to be leaders in our businesses, how we can avoid having to learn those lessons the hard way. And Autumn gives us a few quick tips on things that she's done in her business that she's learned from over the years. Um, and I think one of my favorite things about following Autumn and being in her community is that she really is passionate about educating all of us. Um, I don't always feel like I'm getting sold something. I don't always feel like I'm I'm afraid when I'm looking at the resources that she provides. Um, and one of the big things that I wanted to touch on was um, talking about bringing legitimacy to our products. So at the end of the episode, we talk all about how to get a certification registered to get legitimacy behind our products. Um, we talk a little bit about if clients are taking our IP, taking our trade secrets and what to do about it, what we can do, what we can't do, what we kind of just have to get over, what we can actually pursue. Um, and there's some amazing free resources in the show notes. So I hope you enjoy the episode. It's definitely a perfect mix of on the up and up and we're growing and we're developing and we're changing the workforce, but we're also legally legit and we're trying to do stuff correctly and we're not trying to create businesses that are not going to be able to stand the test of time for things that we can prevent. Um, so I think all of our listeners are really going to enjoy it. So thank, I just want to thank Autumn so much for being with us and um, sharing this time. So I hope you enjoy the episode. 
Autumn. Welcome to On the Up and Up. So I want to just start by saying that I think you'll really appreciate our podcast name because On the Up and Up means we are growing, we are developing, like we are on the up and up, but we're also like not messing around with the legal shit. And so That's, I thought about the second meaning actually before we hit record or before I joined. I was like, I love that. It means like compliance, which is not that exciting, but is what well, I'm all about. Yes. We're excited here because I think primarily On the Up and Up and this platform, my platform, my passion is that we can make compliance be something that we can really lean on in our business. And so being able to talk to attorneys about all of this is so important because we really and we've connected on this so many times. So I'm so pumped for the audience to get to know you. One thing we do talk about, which we I know we're going to jump into more of like intellectual property and kind of the nitty gritty of stuff. But I like to get into like the weeds of how you started your entrepreneurship journey and also like if you prefer or if you can share any toxic workplace experience you have that has lent lent that to how you've become the leader of your team that you are, I love kind of starting from that framework and then sort of looping it back around into more of the like what you do every day and how you help people like us. So why don't we start there? Tell us a little bit about we're going to, you know, your bio and everything kind of explains the basics. But like, tell me your like origin story. Like, where'd you come from? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I sit in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's where I came from. No, um, I had like a very normal lawyer career path. I went to law school, worked for a judge out of right out of law school, which was a fantastic way to learn kind of what works and what doesn't. Um, and he gave us a lot of autonomy as law clerks. We kind of did a lot of first drafts of things, but we could also just observe and ask questions. Um, but we really managed our own dockets. So we kept up with deadlines and made sure things were moving, which like now looking back, the fact that he gave that much autonomy, and I'm sure he was keeping an eye on it too. Um, yeah, but it yeah. felt like it was all our job. Um, so it was like a lot of responsibility for, you know, a 23, 24 year old to have. Um, but it really kind of, it was great training for then, you know, when I went to a law firm, I had no problem just like hopping right in. Um, yeah. So I worked with a local law firm, and then I worked for a boutique um, IP litigation firm. So we worked for mostly photographers and stock photography agencies, filing copyright lawsuits all over the country. So it was really fun. Um, it was like a total dream job until it wasn't. <laughs> so uh, that kind of leads into, you know, you asked about why I started my own firm. So in 20, I'd worked, worked for that firm for about eight years. Um, and I had along that way gotten married. I had twin babies. Uh, it was a lot of travel because we were litigating all over the United States and we would travel for depositions and hearings and things. And um, as my boys, it was actually easier when they were little, when they were babies, because I could leave and they kind of didn't know any different. Yeah. Uh, and my husband's a very involved, involved partner. Um, you know, he's very much 50-50 parent, but um, the older they got, the more they didn't like that I was gone and the, the harder it was on him and just it kind of came to a head where it was just like, this is not working anymore. I was working a lot also. Like I was telecommuting, so I worked from home, which was a dream. Like this was back in 2008 to about 2014. So like that mm. remote work in law, like was not really a thing. So yeah. I knew I had a really good gig in a lot of ways, but it was still just really hard and not working for our family. Um, so that's when yeah. I decided to take the leap and start my own firm. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I know just from our previous conversations how passionate you are about helping creatives. And I know that that position kind of wove itself in there. Can you talk a little bit about the the direction of that and where it came from and the motivation behind it? 
Yeah, so I've always been, I, I like to joke that like every copyright lawyer is a frustrated artist. So um, <laughs> I have always been interested in the arts. I was a theater geek in high school. I'm a singer. Um, just like that's always been something I really love and, um, you know, it's been a priority. Um, so, uh, you know, when I went to law school, I wanted to do entertainment law, which is not exactly what I do now, but it's kind of adjacent. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, working, supporting creatives and making amazing art and making sure they can get paid for it and, um, that people aren't ripping them off is just, um, really important. I think that comes from my background as, as being an artist, although never professional. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that you just said I'm a singer, like I would never even venture to say that in public. So (laughs) I think that means that you must be really great at it. (laughs) Um, there's something really cool. I, I, the, I, no, I was just going to say, I went to college wanting to be an opera singer, and I got there. I like everyone else was so much better than I was that it was very, it was an eye opening moment. I was like, okay, this is not for me. I do not want to be like the worst one in the room all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I enjoy it. It's fun, but it's, yeah, not for a profession. Yeah, for sure. Dang, that's crazy. Um, well, I love to talk about like kind of the back end of the creative side of things because. It sometimes feels like we can't find attorneys and we can't find the people that are helping us stay on the up and up in our business that really understand our brains as creatives. And I know that's how I found my path into what I'm doing as well. But what are some things that I think you bring to the table for your clients that other traditional attorneys kind of don't really get? Yeah, so we do work with... um I would say all of our clients are creative in one way or another. We really focus on people who are content creators, like making courses and educational products and also coaches. Um, Mm. So not necessarily influencers or artists, um, but still creativity is at the core of what they do. Um, So I think a big part for our clients, I was actually just talking with someone earlier today. um, The online course and like social media marketing world is so weird. And there's there's so many, I think in the industry, any industry is like this, but there's just so many weird terms that we use that if you are not in the swimming in this water, you just don't really understand or even kind of how the business model works, frankly, and how the marketing works, all how all the pieces fit together. Um, and so that is a big thing that I think we bring to it that I had a potential client tell me once that she was sending YouTube videos to her lawyer so that he could understand like how her business works. And I was a little aghast at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, <laughs> we get it. We we understand how it works. And we also understand, um, you know, that most of our clients are not super type A, like organized. Um, they need some handholding. They need a lot of them have never worked with another lawyer. Um, so they need some education. And I, I, like they're usually really open to being educated and you know, they want to learn, they want to do things on the up and up, as you say. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really fun to help educate them, help do things the right way. But just knowing that, um, you know, they, they may be not thinking about that from the get go. We have to kind of help them find that path. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's We've shared a couple of clients and it's always really fun to see how we can overlap and collaborate and, you know, work with each other and like kind of find that that place where we meet, especially because I think that being or at least the vibe that I get from you is that you really enjoy that creative process with your people. And it's not so much about just like, yes and no, which I think we get from a lot of other attorneys. Um, It's like, no, don't do that. Or yes, 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 do that. You know, even if it isn't 
kind of lending itself to that process. So have you went in the in the transition from working as a litigating attorney to owning your own firm? Were there things that you had to kind of unlearn or abandon along the way? And if you have toxic work stories, this is where we can throw them in. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, and I loved you mentioning like that we don't just always start with no. Uh, I had someone tell me once they felt like their attorney was the department of no. And so I try to be, I try really hard to be, I mean, I know people don't think of the law as creative, but there is a lot of strategy. There's a lot of different ways you can skin the same cat. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we do try and find a way to yes, you know, if, mm-hmm. if at all possible. Uh, but yeah. yeah, so I mean, in my last job, and I can guarantee my last boss is not listening, um, it was it was a, a highly toxic work environment. Um, two men were the owners of the firm. Um, there were one other woman and me and a guy were the associates much younger. Um, and, you know, it it was plaintiff's litigation. So like big, big paychecks at the end um, that were not really shared, but we were doing all the work. And, you know, and that's the business model and that's fine. But um, it was with very little support staff. We were working crazy hours um, and it was kind of just like more and more and more and more. Um, and, we, you know, every time we tried to cry uncle or say like, I, I literally can't do one more thing. Um, like I, one of my bosses said to me at one point, cause I, somebody else had failed to do something. And so he was like, you're going to have to do it. And I was like, I have a hundred other things to do. And he was like, well, I know you're going to do it and I know you're going to do it right. So you're just going to have to do it. I was like, that is, that does not feel great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the things that I have brought into my leadership style now, and it's a little bit of a pendulum. Like, I feel like I, that was such a toxic environment that I swung a little bit too far <laughs> to the, like being super duper nice. And I've kind of, you know, tried to find that balance. But um, the partner that I worked most closely with, who would review my work and give me feedback, um, just, it was never helpful. It was just negative. Um, And so I remember one time he had reviewed a draft of something I'd written and um, he wrote back, this was not your best work. And like, no, no real edits or suggestions of how to make it better. But just, and I was like, why would you say that to someone? Like, that does nothing but... It felt like a slap in the Cut face. Them down. Yeah. Um, yeah. He also made me cry in front of a client. And I'm like not a crier. So no. I, w- I was very much at the end of my rope to to get there. But yeah. Yeah. A, a female client who was not impressed. So I'll, I, I could I could tell lots of stories, which I will not. But um, yeah, I never I wanted to make the workplace that I wished I had had. I mean, that has kind of yeah. been a guiding principle. Yeah. So you mentioned you went you said you went too far in one direction. And I think that we that's a really common <laughs> theme. And I realize that there's some self-awareness and like also a little bit of kind of unforgiveness for yourself in that kind of the way that you phrased it. But I think it's all an experiment, you know, when you're trying things out. And I think that's really common, especially with a lot of our clients and our business owners and um we call it toxic flexibility. Like we just want to provide the space ah, that we didn't so good. have. Yeah, I know. Thank you. I might need to copyright that. Probably having a meeting with you later about it. But um, there's something really powerful about learning those lessons. So when I think you could, we could help some of these business owners that are in that phase of starting their team skip over some of those steps. For me, it was so much guilt. I had so much guilt just even asking mm. people I was paying to do what I needed them to do. And it put me in a really bad spot, but that's a story for another day. What were some of those, how, like, what can, what is some of that wisdom to move away from that toxic flex- flexibility and kind of find your way to your style that you have now? 
Yeah, well, something that came to mind, just as you said, that toxic toxic flexibility, like that is very that is at the core of our firm. Um, most of the people who work here, actually, we're all women right now. Um, most of us have kids. So, you know, having that flexibility built in was really important to me because that's what I wanted and what I had had at, pre- at a previous job and not others. Um, mm-hmm. But we had, you know, in the beginning, you don't have any policies because you just don't even know what you need policies for. And you're kind of figuring it out as you go. Um, but I had a, a part-time workforce and uh, one of the attorneys who worked with me, uh, it, they were all paid hourly. So it was kind of like if the work was there, they would do it and they would get paid. And if not, it was, you know, they wouldn't. Um, and so I had, there was one summer when one of the attorneys who worked with me took like, I'm probably exaggerating this, but I swear it felt like six vacations. And um, I was just like, she's just, she's just never here. And so, you know, I was, I think it was just the two of us at the time who were attorneys. Um, so, you know, I was picking up all the slack and felt like I couldn't take off. Um, but then I felt really bad. I never want to tell someone like they can't go to their cousin's wedding or like they can't take a vacation that they've planned. But we did have to figure out like how can we, you know, what the business needs is some predictability. So how can we figure out how to make that work while also being very generous and fair and flexible? Um, mm-hmm. that, was, that was a big lesson. Um, kind of on the same topic, another lesson I learned was um, – because we are so flexible, uh, we had team members who would maybe their spouse was going to a conference and they would tag along or they would, you know, be traveling. They wanted to take an extended trip. And so they'd say, well, I'll work through part of it. You know, I'll I'll just work from France or wherever. And we did that two or three times. And it was always a disaster. Like they're not really focused on work. Their availability is a mess. Like the time, the internet, just like all of it. it, you know, they're hardly working, but they probably are feeling like they don't, are not on a full vacation because they are working some. So it was just like the worst of both worlds. Um, so we did put, and again, I felt badly about this and the team did not like it at first, but I put it in a like, either you're off or you're on. We have that rule. Like if you're off, you're not checking in, you're not checking email, you are not available unless like literally someone's arm is cut off, uh, which we do IP, like no one's going to jail. There are really no <laughs> emergencies. Um, so it was a tough transition and I had to be the first one to do it to kind of set the, you know, this is real. Like I'm not pretending I really don't want you checking things. Mm -hmm. Uh, but now everyone loves it and they're so appreciative and, you know, they are so willing to pitch in when someone is gone because they know that the same, um, you know, opportunity is going to be offered to them. Uh, so it's been, it's been great, but it was definitely rocky at first. Yeah, I think it's it's really funny because I think when I talk to people about it that are in a place where they're kind of in that messy part where they're like, what the heck? Like, I don't want to have to be this person. And now I'm building resentment towards my team. And it's like, you know, that's very common. And I think I I just like to tell people like, look, I learned these lessons when I had to like through really hard times. I mean, I was so controlling and, you know, this is all something that develops over time. You figure it out, you figure out your voice. But I always joke that like I started my business as a side hustle. And so I didn't have any time to kind of be flexible. So I had to kind of force some really strong boundaries for my first couple of team members because there just wasn't any other time to do it. And I feel like that has kind of, I got a little bit of a head start for this business in a sense that I didn't, I haven't had that struggle for paradigm, but I think it's just because sometimes we have to take our boundaries as if they literally are our other job. I had a friend tell me, because we're, you know, maybe trying to have a kid soon. And she was like, listen, 
Think about your end of your day. Like, would you be making that exception for that client if you had a baby to go take care of? And I've like, for some reason, as a woman and as a professional, I can't believe that I'm not, I don't have a kid yet, but that's what's driving my choices. Like, it helps to create those boundaries because then we can justify it. Women can, we have to find the thing that's going to help us tick to help us create those boundaries. And it can be so freaking hard to do, but I love what you said about your either off or you're on because that middle ground is exhausting and our employees hate it. As entrepreneurs, we don't understand. We're like, we can't stop thinking about it anyway. But employees are not (laughs) entrepreneurs. If they wanted to think about business all yeah. the time they would start their own but they want to work for, for us right, and it's right. such a it's such a better way to yeah. think about things they so. want to do their work I love that. Home, which is how it should be yeah 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 and I don't know when there started to be this whole rhetoric about like people taking their work home with them as like a benefit but we do like you said I also loved how you said you model that behavior as well so that you can make sure that your team feels comfortable with it because a lot of times we uh, accidentally push forward these narratives by not modeling it. And so I love how intentional you've been yeah. about that. Um, so let's jump into a little bit of there IP. Are so because many hard lessons, Kara. <laughs> I know, I bet. And especially, I mean, you have quite a few people on your team now. How many team members do you have that you're generally interacting with on a weekly basis? Uh, there's 10, including me. So nine others. Yeah. Has your ch- has your it's style crazy. changed as you've grown and as you've added new team oh. members onto your team? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like two or three years ago, as we we had a lot of like we doubled a couple of years in a row, which was crazy. Not only revenue, but team. So those were just crazy years. Um, and I was the only manager. So I was kind of or leader. And I like the word manager. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was kind of learning to be a leader. I had never managed or led anyone in any prior jobs. You know, I'd done a little bit of it in volunteer work, but So that was kind of me just like figuring out how do I like host a one-on-one? How do I do strategic planning? Like all of those things. How do I handle discipline or not discipline, but how do I, you know, gentle correction, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Putting policies in place. We did, we just had to like build the whole structure. Cause like when you're three people, you don't need any of that, but then you're five and then you're seven and then you're nine. And I mean, even I have another leader now, one of our attorneys is the um, leader of our legal team. And so she and I now kind of co-lead. I lead the uh, like administrative and sales and marketing side. Um, and so that has been a huge change. Just like having another leader to bounce things off of is um, really changed. And she's an employment lawyer. So she kind of brings a different perspective to things too. Um, yeah. And she's very helpful in saying like, you know, because I'll sometimes fight back about being so strict about some things still. Um, but, you know, she's very good at saying like, you know, it used to work and now it doesn't. And like, we've just got to like... Because now we're starting to plan, like, what what will we need in place if we're 20, if we're a team of 20? And, like, starting to kind of make decisions with that in mind. Um, yeah. Even with, like, what software we're buying and, you know, our different policies. Like, will this work if we're a team of 20? Not that I'm trying yeah. to get there anytime soon. But yeah, <laughs> um, it felt like we were building the airplane as we were flying it for the last couple of years. So um, mm-hmm. kind of slowing down and being more intentional has been nice. Yeah, for sure. And I think you have the kind of good, I mean, you have a little bit of a benefit in that you can approach things and feel a little bit more confident about the legal side of things. And you know how to not discriminate against people accidentally and stuff like that. But a lot of our listeners don't, um, which I always, I thought that when I started my Uh, business, everybody. Kira, (laughs) I'm an 
I'm a lawyer. I don't know any of that stuff. I have had to learn just like any of your listeners. So. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's so funny because lawyers, I just feel like lawyers know everything because I've leaned on them a lot when I get into the few and far situations where I'm like, we got to call our attorney because this one's going to yeah. be tough or whatever. And so I'm always like, they know everything. They're our saviors when we get down to that <laughs> nitty gritty of things. But yeah, it's really interesting because I think that it's... It, a lot of the mistakes that I see our clients making are super unintentional. And I think that oh, yeah. that probably comes up a lot in IP as well. So I'm going to give you just like a quick example, hypothetical, of course, um, about something going on that I've observed in my business a few times. So we've worked with almost 70 businesses now to build out their company policies and structures and their growth plans. And we are now having clients, previous clients that have taken all of our programs, even our management course, that are putting out services and consulting offerings about building growth plans and managing teams. So that has been really tough to see because they're our best students, they're our biggest advocates, they're our, you know, case studies, and they're also charging a lot of money and they are not able to speak to any HR compliance, which is our special sauce. So I feel like it's unjust for people to be purchasing stuff like that when they don't have any 12 years of experience doing this or anything. How do you, I mean, I'm emotional about it. So, but I know from (laughs) the legal standpoint, it's so hard. And I'm sure that digital creators, and as you've kind of worked alongside so many creators, as they're, as we're building this industry, like, what are some things that you've seen? What's some advice that you have? Like, can you make me feel better about this? Like, what do I do? (laughs) You know? Yes. Well, it's funny. I was listening to uh, like, I don't know if it was a webinar or podcast or something. Uh, I hope this person wasn't your client, but they like had grown a, you know, eight figure business and they were offering a, a group program to basically say like, here's how we did it. And here's like, we worked with the employment consultant and you can have all of our stuff. And I heard that and I was like, no, like you been the client and now you are trying to teach it like that is not um i do think that buyers are becoming more sophisticated especially now that we're not in like the pandemic everybody's at home just looking for something to do Uh, Mm -hmm. i do think people are vetting experts more carefully Uh, but i think you're always going to have the challenge of um you know if you are an expert and you put out an incredible product that your students may potentially try and take it and compete with you and that is Mm -hmm. I've, I've just seen it happen over and over and over. And I think it's kind of the name of the game. What I will tell you on the bright side is they do not have your special sauce, Kira. Um, I have a friend who calls it her Jenny juice. Um, they do not have the Kira juice. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's your job to stand out in the marketplace and, you know, educate your buyers. But that is kind of like the practical. But on a legal side, I mean, you can put some things in place. You can have things in your contracts with your clients that they cannot take your materials and use them. Now, those are only as strong as your willingness to go to bat and enforce them. So to send the nasty letter or, you know, eventually file a lawsuit if you really think that it's damaging your business. Um, The other practical thing I will say is it's usually not damaging your business. Like usually they're kind of targeting some other people than would ever come to you. And you can kind of, you know, there's lots of people who sell the same stuff of varying quality. Um, so I know that is never what anyone wants to hear. They're always like, well, can't I just get a copyright and then everyone will stop? And no, that, that is unfortunately <laughs> not the answer. Um, although, again, there's some things we can do, but 
there's all kinds of people who will ignore those. Um, and so it is unfortunately very common. Yeah, I know. I, I womp, it's womp. That's kind of, yeah, it's like one of those things where I think at the end of the day, that's what I'm telling myself, A, that our clients are sophisticated and they're smart and they're on it and they know how to vet people. And I mean, our sales process has expanded. Like it went from like, you know, sales call to book that day to sales call to vet to check our references. And I embrace that, you know, like I'm proud of what we do. Yeah. So I kind of fall on those laurels, but I'm also a little bit like I'm mad. So it still but. feels <laughs> awful. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, there are so many different ways to approach, especially what we teach, like how to manage your team, how to how to be a leader instead of just a manager and how to learn the skills that you need, but also be who you are. And, you know, we like to think it's really innovative, but there's so much out there about this. Like I'm under no like kind of, I don't know, like fantasy land that I'm the only person out here teaching this. Like I learned from so many amazing people. I think we do it in a different way, yeah. but it's still hard. And I think a lot of, I mean, our experience is so unique. Like there's not too much of too many HR people out there doing all 50 states in a boutique way. Um, but there's part of the business that it feels a little bit fraught with like, like, I don't know who to trust, you know, and it's a different feeling yeah. Yeah. than what I've experienced before. But yeah. Well, I saw someone, um, I don't like to think that I have competitors. I like to think kind of like you said, that we stand apart. But there are other attorneys who are doing similar things to what we're doing. And I saw one of them who put out this like 50 state employee compliance guide. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, I even I can't believe you did this once. And I can't believe you're going to update it every three to six months, which is really what is required. And mm -hmm. I was just like, what? Uh, it just made me. I don't know. And there are people who will buy it and make mistakes. And that's what makes me crazy. And I'm like, yeah. I'm sure that's part of it, too. When you see someone who doesn't really know what they're doing now, like purporting to teach people how to do it. Uh, yeah. I'm like, just but. stick with the like how you maybe do your performance reviews or your your write ups like that's, you know, be careful and be aware of things that you can and can't say. But like, don't I mean, do you, we have an entire team updating that stuff every every month. Right. Like we have an entire yeah. database, yeah. like Things our whole change. business is built around it. And if you don't know the nuance and you haven't actually worked, like we've worked with almost all 50 states now. And so if you don't know the yeah. nuance behind it, like there's so many caveats. Like I've seen people give advice that is just so harmful for the business owner because it's like, yeah. dude, that doesn't apply to them. They don't need to worry about that. Yeah. They don't have 50 employees. Like, shut up. Like, yeah. let them do their, yeah. they're well, doing fine. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure you have some paid resources. I mean, we pay a lot of money for uh, mm -hmm. a Lexus subscription so that we are mm -hmm. getting the most up-to-date, you know, legal um, statutes change and all kinds of guidance changes. So, you know, yeah. it's expensive and you pay for mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're working with someone who seems really inexpensive, they may not be doing all that hard work behind the scenes, which is really what you need. Yeah, of course. And that's the other, you know, that's the thing, too, is it's not only for HR is so much. It's so unregulated in certain ways that we I've had actual attorneys be people that I've had an issue with, I would say. So that's my next hypothetical yeah. is that um, there's occasionally <laughs> some attorneys that you will rip off your entire sales page. And that is a bummer because I like you kind of said earlier, I mean, it sort of is the point that I was hoping you would make. But like not every attorney knows everything about every law. And especially like if you're talking about right. 
an IP attorney or, you know, millions of other litigating attorney or whatever, they're probably not going to be able to tell you like the best way to help your California employee take time off because they have COVID. So why are you ripping off my sales page? Like you don't care about any of this. (laughs) Anyway, so when it comes to that, I've had a couple, I have always just like kind of yield to attorneys, but I know that there are quite a few out there that we really shouldn't trust. And I have some pretty specific stories about it I'm not ready to share yet. Um, but I just automatically trust attorneys. How can we vet the attorneys that we want to use? And I know we have some resources to share in our in our notes today. And I love being on your email list. I feel like you're just always sending me free stuff that has like no pitch or anything. It's just like knowledge. <laughs> so we'll get everybody on there. But how can you vet the attorneys that you need that extra one-on-one help with? Like, how can you find the right ones? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, the best thing to do is ask your network, like, who have they worked with that they really liked? Um, I know not everybody knows a bunch of people who work with attorneys. So that is, that's like the gold standard. But if you don't, you know, if you ask your network and everyone's like, I've never hired an attorney, I don't know. Um, I mean, we have people reach out to us all the time. I'm not saying everybody please email us. But I will say, like, if you find an attorney who seems like they might be a good fit, reach out to them. Ask them if they have experience in your industry. I'd say that's probably the most important thing. Um, if you have a local business, having someone in your state is really important. But I work with online businesses, so our clients are all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, I'm in a couple of like local Facebook groups where people are always asking for like a plumber or an electrician or a lawyer. Like, I think mm-hmm. those are great places to, again, the more you can get, you know, not just opening the yellow pages if we have them anymore. Um you know, not just Googling and trying to see. But I'm like, I'm like you said, your clients vet you. Like, I really vet service providers now. I do not just hire someone. Like, I will look and see if they have testimonials. I might reach out to some of those and say, like, what was your experience working with them? Or if I know anyone in my network who has worked with that person, I will always just reach out and ask, like, for an honest review. And usually people are happy. I mean, it's like five minutes. I'm always like, send me a loom. It's fine. Like, just give me, like, three minutes of honest feedback. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I think that's really helpful. You can check like um, every state has a bar association and you can check and see if someone's license is active. I think that's not as much of a concern. There's very few examples of attorneys being like disbarred and continuing to practice. But I think more of what you're seeing is like what you said with people who aren't really experienced and are doing things that maybe they're just dabbling in. And that is really hard to vet for, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think personal recommendations are are the best you can get. Unfortunately, yeah, I know it's it's unfortunate. Oh, the oh, I had one other idea, Kira, which is that um, we refer a lot of our like a lot of our clients come to us and don't have a CPA, and so we send a lot of we send a lot of CPA referrals. So I'd say ask the other professionals that you're working with, like if you do have a bookkeeper or a CPA, like if they know of a lawyer because they see kind of behind the curtain just like we do with like a CPA or bookkeeper. Like I know who the good ones are because I see when things get messy. Um, so uh, complimentary service providers might be a good place to reach out as well. Yeah, for sure. I love that because I think one thing that we kind of lost during the pandemic a little bit, and I have an operations background. So my title at my full-time job is COO, but I've been a Prior to this, it was director of HR and operations because working in a service-based business where your people are your commodity – your operations are your people. So it was interesting to transition to the online space where everything, yeah, I love those automations. I love that tech, but like our biggest resource, and I do this 
like this is what I just firmly believe in my life is for our world, for our country, for our jobs, for our lives is the people that we connect with. So I love that you said just reach out, like send a loom. Like I just I've I've had, you know, some experiences with people where they're like, well, you know, your time is valuable. Like pick my brain sessions are a thousand dollars, blah, blah, blah. Like send a DM. Like I think it's I think it's fine to send a voice memo, like connect with other people. Like I feel like Every time I spend the time actually getting to know someone, I find so much valuable information. Some of it's amazing and some of it's like, maybe I won't spend time with that person again. And I think it's kind of the name of the game these days, because the more your authentic self comes through in your business, the more you're going to be able to connect with others. But it's crazy. I mean, people can really take you from like zero to 100. When you were building your business, did you have any doubts or fears about start? I know you mentioned I don't want to be called a manager, which I hear that a lot. Um, So we like to call them the people leaders, but let's be real, like we're managers too. Um, So did you have any qualms about that? Like, did you have any fears about extending into the like the environment of being a a leader of employees versus contractors? Or what were some of those things that you had to kind of go through back then? Yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, I mentioned I was never a manager at any of my prior positions, even though I'd been a lawyer for a long time. I'd also never done marketing or sales. So I felt like there was just so much that I had to learn, Uh, but I really enjoy learning. And so learning the marketing and sales was really fun and like unexpectedly so. I was really nervous about that when I started my firm. Like, how do I get a client? How am I gonna get them to sign my engagement letter? All those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think the fact that like I did learn those new skills and it was fun and it wasn't as hard as I thought, like gave me a little confidence boost in, I didn't hire right away. I was on my own until probably for a year, year and a half. Um, I was pregnant with our third kid and wanted to take a maternity leave. And I was like, I need to make sure that like if something blows up and I'm not available, like somebody's manning the email. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I very much tiptoed into it. Very, yeah, like very small. I had, I think my first hire who's like in the conference room, she's still with me, um, was like five hours a week. I mean, it was very, very small commitment for her and me. And um yeah, then just as we got busier, I needed help. And, you know, just it felt like the potential downside or like the hard things I was going to have to figure out were way outweighed by the idea that I could, you know, not have to do everything by myself. So yeah, I think that was a big part of it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it really hard. Fun. Like I, I had to fire someone this week. It never gets easy. It's never yeah. fun. Um, but yeah. that is just that I, I am starting to say to myself, like we we're a million dollar law firm. Like this is just what what you do. This is just part of it. Like I would love yeah. it if people would stay forever and some people do, but a lot of people don't. And that's just part of it. Yeah, I, I like to tell our clients and newer managers, just assume everyone's going to leave and it's not the end of the world. We're building a we're building a role yeah. for a business. We're not building a business around this person you're hiring. And it gives a yeah. lot of freedom to the way that you approach them in leadership to know that you're not married to this person. Like it's it's mutually <laughs> beneficial. God. And so like one of my goals was and I've been in extremely toxic environments, which unfortunately this these listeners have heard about. Um, but there are moments where you make these commitments to your values. And one of mine that I think is different from others is that whoever comes and works for me, no matter how they leave, I want it to be 
okay. Like I want to find a common ground, even if I have to fire them, which I have. Um, Even in Paradigm, I've had to fire people and it's a bummer. But I say that with like the utmost respect for those people. And I will always be here to support them when they find something that fits better. It's not a personal attack on your business if somebody's not fulfilling those roles. And it gives a lot more freedom than if you have somebody on your team that you're dumping everything on and they're like, you're creating this weird codependency that is super toxic. And I know because I was part of that in one of my jobs. And it's been it's been hard to get over it and hard to unlearn it. But especially as women, it's like we got to like kind of draw a little bit of a line and let our policies, let our company, let our goals be the bad cop. So then we can show up Mm -hmm. and and really work on ourselves when you were in the transition phase of starting your team, what did you notice that your energy and attention in your personal development went in a different direction than prior to when you had your team? Have you had that experience of like, whoa, there's a mirror on me now? Or do you feel like <laughs> that's still developing? I'm, I've This is something that's sort of been coming up a little bit more with clients, and I'm interested in, in how that's happened for you over the last few years in particular. Yeah, I think our culture is very collaborative. And so I definitely, and some of this has been trial and error, but um, I work really hard not to ever like take a top-down approach. So, you know, I'll give you an example. We, over the last year, like I found we had a big profit leak in the way that we were doing our hourly billing and time entries and the way we were capturing time and billing its clients, which is how we get paid. Um, And so we've been kind of slowly but surely we had to change the expectations. We had to change basically people's job requirements. Like it just, it was a lot of change and we've gone very slowly and I've asked for a lot of input from the team. Um, even though I kind of had an idea of where I wanted us to end up. Um, and so I think that has helped. Like, I don't, I, I don't know, maybe if I were more of a dictator, (laughs) then I would feel like there was more of a like, Oh, eyes are all on me. Um, but I think I really try to get buy-in you know, not everybody loves every decision, but something like this, which is a really big, really culture change for the whole team. Like we're going very slowly. We're making sure that everybody feels good about it and understands why we're why we're making the change. It's not just that we're trying to like squeeze more money out of them. It is like we need to be capturing the work they're already doing and, you know, getting it paid for appropriately. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think I think that has been really helpful. And not everybody has that leadership style. But that's something, again, I in building the business that I wanted to work for. Um, it also means that things are slower and that's okay. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's And I think the other thing that I think has helped with that is finding a group of peers that I can bring the hard stuff to instead of the team. And that was definitely a learning experience of like, I can't complain about, like, there's things that I can't talk about with the team because they're a leader problem. Um, mm-hmm. And I need other people to like, work through those things because I'm I'm a collaborative person like I don't make I don't just make a decision and go for it like I like to kind of talk it through and get perspectives and you know what have you done how what worked well what didn't Um, and so I can't I can't do that with the team that's not fair to them it's not their job yeah that's such I love that talk about that all the time but you said it so eloquently I'm absolutely clipping that we're putting it all over the internet because I think there's something (laughs) really powerful and we have the we have a people leader quiz that just came out and I have to know what your result is because I think I know what it is but I want to to take it yeah I want to know what it is um 
after we're done recording. But I think that it's really hard for collaborative people to understand that sometimes our collaboration is a way to process things that are an emotional weight that we have to carry. And I 100% agree, like finding a collective of CEOs, entrepreneurs, or even other managers has been such a game changer. When I first started being a manager, I was like, I just wish I had someone to ask this question to, which is kind of the, <laughs> yeah. the core of our whole business. Like, how do I tell this person they smell and they need to wear deodorant without like upsetting right. them? Or how do I I tell because in person, you know, or how do I tell this person that their, you know, design is like really bad and like it's like not what they think it is? Or how do I tell that this person, you know, those things, those conversations can keep us up at night and we cannot go to our yeah. team and talk about our other team right. members. It's completely inappropriate. So um, on that note, I think it's really fun to talk about the kind of place where HR and legal hold hands for us. And I would love it if you would correct me, be like blunt and honest. But I think the most important <laughs> thing that we lean on for our clients is the intellectual property. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you here. I know that we can build out policies and procedures on our side, but protecting that intellectual property we feel is all in the hands of the lawyer. We're like, at the very least, you need an NDA. Um, but there's other things that we can do to make sure that our employees mm-hmm. aren't running off and, you know, kind of doing that weird thing we talked about earlier. Um, I think a lot of it comes through the interview process, but that's another episode. But also, like, we got to have these building blocks in place. Um, can you talk a little bit about that relationship and and what it looks like to have those conversations with your clients that are hiring employees and making sure that they're doing everything they can to protect their IP? And we know that there's a, you know, here and there, there's going to be some fluctuation, but just like the most blunt advice like that we can give to people to make sure they're <laughs> protecting, protect your shit, dude. Like, that's all I can say. Like, protect it to the extent that you can yeah. and then welcome your people with open arms without fear is kind of my goal. Yeah. Um, so what do you do yeah. with that? What do you tell them? How do you, you know, what other legal things do you think people need when they're hiring employees? Yeah. Well, the baseline that I feel like no one talks about, so I will get on my soapbox, is that in the United States, and I am, um, I'm going to get into actual legal, which we haven't done much of. So I will give my disclaimer, which is I am a lawyer. I am not your lawyer. Uh, This is not legal (laughs) advice. Um, But in the United States, our copyright laws are weird. They're kind of backwards. So if you hire an independent contractor, this is like somebody you find on um, on Craigslist or, uh, uh, you know, any kind of vendor, um, if they are not a W-2 employee on your payroll and you ask them to do something creative, they own it. The contractor owns what they create. That is how our law is set up. Most people don't want that to be how it works. So if you want to change that, you absolutely can. It has to be in writing. It cannot be in an email. It has to be in a signed writing. So this is why for contractors, you I, like, I can't say it clearly enough, you have to use a written contract. You cannot rely on an email thread. You cannot you know, do a handshake. Like you need a written agreement and it needs to really clearly spell out if the contractor will agree, they won't, they won't always agree, um, but if the contractor will agree that you own all the rights in whatever they're creating for you. And if you don't own the rights, that you at least have permission and to use them in whatever way you need to use them and that that's really clearly spelled out. Because um, we do see problems, you know, with vendors holding their clients hostage if things don't go right, you know, well, and all of a sudden, you know, all the IP that you paid for them to create, they are now saying, oh, you can't use this because they're unhappy about whatever. So for contractors, like you have to use an agreement. Um, there is a little tricky. I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds on it, but contractor law, independent contractor laws are different every state. <laughs> so 
That Amen. is the name of like IP and employment law. Kind of overlap. <laughs> they overlap a little bit because there are some things that as an IP lawyer, I like to have in a contract that will mess, it, mess things up um, under employment law. So especially mm-hmm. if you are like using terms like work for hire, that is a very tricky area, particularly in our favorite state of California. So just kind of heads up there. I know. Uh, on the impl- so that's like the biggest thing with contractors that I always want people to make sure that they are actually getting ownership of the stuff that they're paying and telling the contractor how to do. It's so weird. Um, but so on the flip side, when we're talking about people who are on your payroll, employees, W-2 employees, the rule is the opposite. So if they are creating something for you that is in the scope of their job, it's not something you're asking to do that's, you know, it's not somebody who works on the assembly line. You're like, hey, can you design this brochure? Has to be like in their regular scope of work. Then you as the employer own all of that. So that is great. Um, Doesn't hurt to put it in in writing though. So just so there are no, you know, miscommunications or disagreements later, especially if it is something that's a little bit in that gray area. Like maybe they don't do it every day, but they do it once a year for you. So. I, you know, employment agreements are not required. In some instances, they're not a good idea, but this is one area where like, I like to have something in writing around the IP. Um, something that's not talked about much in intellectual property is trade secrets. So you probably know about this, Kira, as being an HR <laughs> consultant. Uh, trade secrets are a type of IP. Normally we think of copyrights, patents, and trademarks as the main type of IP, but trade secrets are really important type of IP that every business has, and it's basically like your your Kira juice, your special sauce. Like what are the things that you have in your business? They could be processes, systems, you know, um, customer lists, vendor lists, um, any in, anything internal that you're like, oh my gosh, if my competitor had this, they could really use it against me or they could really have a competitive advantage. Um, so that is a type of intellectual property. Uh, but it doesn't get registered anywhere. So you, you don't do anything with it. The way you keep it protected is by really keeping it secret. And so that is where some of those things like an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement are important. And also just thinking about your your systems and processes, like does everyone really need access to this folder in Dropbox? Or like, are there some things that we wanna kind of keep on a need to know basis? Because if that person walks out the door to my competitor, that's gonna be a problem. Um, so just, it's kind of like we're pulling on our big girl panties a little bit. It's some of those structures and boundaries that none of us like to have when we're early in business, but the longer you're in business, you know, if you have an employee leave and go to a competitor, it feels awful. Um, and you can't stop them from taking what's in their brain. Like that's just, that's just part of doing business. Um, but there are definitely like written resources and things that you can either stop them from taking or if they do take, you know, you may be able to file a lawsuit and either get it back or prevent the other business from working with that person, you know, if it's absolutely impossible. So those are, you know, some things to think about for sure. Um, I would say there's a level of maturity in your business where you start thinking about these things like, oh, okay, I really do have some valuable IP here that is worth protecting. Yeah, for sure. I think as you're talking, I'm like, I have so many secrets. <laughs> um, and part of it is, you know, the nature of the business. Like, depending on who we're working with, I'm like, you know, I think it's probably like your your brand, your personal brand. Like, those are things that no one's going to be able to take. Like, I think bringing somebody in here to understand how you're getting things done is great. But business is like mine that I had to figure out from the ground up. Like, there's not exactly a bunch of other people out here doing this. Like, I, right. pret- I mean, there are like full on files on my desktop that, aren't even available to my right hand <laughs> person. Anybody. 
Yeah. So yeah. she will, that's where I help educate her. And, you know, I, I kind of believe in having a right hand person in your business, especially if you're a collaborative leader, like I think you are. Um, but I think there's something really scary about the idea that we, our clients are getting access to some of the written materials that we're creating. Can you have a client sign an NDA or what does that look like in, if your contract is complete and it's like, this is not work to be shared or reproduced and all of that is, does that cover it? Like, can I actually go to that client and be like, you better not, <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing or can, <laughs> is an NDA kind of a cover all for that or is it not applicable? I, I guess this is a question I just thought of. I've never thought of it before. Yeah. No, I think about it a little differently. So an NDA is like, a, prevents you from disclosing. So basically telling a secret or telling someone about what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, often it will include a prohibition on use as well. So you can't like take my stuff and use it against me or to compete. Um, but what we usually include in our client agreements when we're working on like for our clients with their customers, I think is what you're talking about, um, mm-hmm. is it's not really an NDA, but it's more of a like, um, setting out some boundaries on the front end. And I always hope that people are talking about these things and not just relying on the contract. Some of it is just, Mm -hmm. you gotta tell people what the rules are. They might not read it. Um, But putting some guardrails around there, like this this is intended for your individual business's use. You may not take it and use it with anyone else. Um, You know, some of it is putting that on your materials. You know, maybe you have like, you know, confidential or like only for use by whatever client, you know, depending on how extensive the engagement is, you could even put the client's name on it. Um, you know, but there there are things that you can do as a practical matter to kind of help buttress those those legal supports. But yeah, having it in your contract so that if they do go and do it, you've got a very clear breach of contract. Um, that's something I don't think it's talked about a lot, but even as IP lawyers, we rely on contracts a lot. Like you could have a copyright or a trademark, but it's even better if you're agreeing in a contract that you're not going to do certain things that would violate those laws because those filing this, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but filing like a copyright lawsuit or a trademark lawsuit is very expensive and difficult. Filing a breach of contract lawsuit is very easy. Ah, <laughs> and, um, you that's know, juicy. Most lawyers can do that. So yes, just like a little behind the scenes tip. Um, like, yeah. I'm just like the more protections you can add, the better. Yeah, Gives for sure. Options later on. I love that. I didn't I didn't know that. And it's interesting because we will tell our clients, like, we'll help you get all your policies in place. We're going to know where they live. You get an audit for the states, you know, all that stuff. But we're always like, make sure your IP is protected because I'm not trying to do that. Like, at least the very least, we ask you that you get an NDA, purchase a contract or something like that. Have a lawyer draft one up. We love it when our lawyer friends refer the clients because they're already all set up in that area and we get to focus on our area of expertise. (laughs) Um, I remember, I think it was Michelle, your employment lawyer we were on a call one time and she was she said something like oh you do all that compliance that's great we don't want to do it and I was like excellent (laughs) we found our we found our match um one thing that has come up a few times yeah one thing that's come up a few times recently that I just I know we're coming up on the end but this is something that I think a lot of us like more experienced entrepreneurs are starting to see is that I feel like maybe I made a 
a few mistakes, got ripped off a few times, and I'm very passionate about the integrity behind what we're putting out there and how we're selling it and how we're marketing it. And one of the things that I really want to do is to create a certification that other people can take so they can say, oh, I was trained in how to manage a team for an online business by Paradigm. Everybody wants to be trained in that way. This is like going to help me get a job. Um, I went to a training that you provided, which was awesome. And I wanted to just kind of share or have you kind of have a place to share a little bit if that's something because we can I can go out and buy something that tells me my program is certified and that you can be I can print out a certificate and you can be certified I don't want to do that so what are some steps that I can take I've taught this program this particular program three times um, it's got a bunch of great reviews I could submit it for certification but I've held back because I'm like I don't know that it's real how do we like how can I make that the most <laughs> legit, like, like stand in the ground, like this is something that is valuable, that people want, it's amazing, you know, that kind of thing. How can I do that, like create something that really means something with licensing and um, all of the uh, kind of extra stuff that comes along with that certification and licensing process? Yeah, well, so like the good news, bad news is that certifications... <laughs> Like you can, I could certify someone tomorrow as an AWB firm lawyer. Like, you know, anybody can make a certification about anything. Um, There's not really a lot of rules around it unless it is a specialized um, industry where there are like standards, like a financial professional or some of those things. Um, So I think the way that you make it legit is by, um, you know, making sure your materials are really good. Like you said, you've run it a couple of times. So you've learned, you've probably added and changed some things. Um, an option would be to think about whether you have it reviewed and kind of get a stamp of approval from an outside, like a third party reviewer. So we see this a lot. I have some clients who are doctors turned coaches, but they offer their program in a special way to other doctors who need those continuing medical credits, CMEs. Um, and so like there are organizations that you can submit your materials to and they will certify it like yes this qualifies for cme it meets the you know rigorous standards so i would think maybe sherm or another like hr uh mm-hmm. agency or association may offer that service i don't know uh, so that's another just kind of like feather in your cap mm-hmm. um but i think you know on the um the master class that you attended was with um, a colleague of mine collaborator named pam slim she helps people kind of put all their pieces together Um, to make their certifications really great. I think some of what we talked about and some of what she helps people with is really codifying your IP. So, um, you know, kind of winnowing it down to the best parts, putting it together in a beautiful package, making it look really professional um, so that at the end, you know, especially if you're licensing some of your materials to the people who are becoming certified, you know, if they're using them with a client, it looks great. It looks, you know, it makes you look like you're super high end, you know, very legit. I think all of those like credibility indicators um, can make a difference. And then at the very least, we want to make sure that we're registering our like codified materials essentially as copyrights and trademarks. And so with you, yeah, as an IP attorney, like kind of let's 
I call this the desperation minute, but like, you know, it's just a joke. <laughs> um, but let's like kind of bleed that in. Like if I were to come to you and be like, Autumn, I'm ready. Here's all my stuff. It looks beautiful. I got my frameworks in here. Like let's copyright and trademark the crap out of it. Um, is that is that an option? Like, is that what we want people to do? Is that where we want people to come to you for? I mean, among other things, yeah. but um, tell yeah, us a little bit absolutely. about that and then how to find you, how to talk to you, how to pay you, how to get your brain on their business, all that good stuff. Yes. Uh, so I would encourage you, if you're thinking about a certification, to start sooner than you probably think you need to, to talk with a lawyer, uh, because there's three things that I want to encourage you to do. Number one is figure out if there are other people's stuff in your material. So are you borrowing from a book? Do you have um, movie clips in your um, videos? Or you know, if there's any what we call third-party works, so stuff that you yourself or your employees did not create, we want to either pull that out or get permission to use it. Because when you are certifying people, you're allowing them to use it. Now you're kind of putting them at risk for an for an infringement claim. If mm-hmm. if you didn't have permission, then they certainly don't have permission. So there's kind of a, you know, a kind of culling process that you might want to think about before you finalize all the materials. Uh, so that's step one is kind of clearance, making sure everything, making sure that your trademark actually, or your name um, is available to register as a trademark before you spend a bunch of money on graphic design and putting it on everything. Um, not every brand can be registered as a trademark. If someone else is using it or if it's just not a very strong brand, that can be a problem. So I would say like an initial consult with a lawyer when you're in that still like forming all your materials could be really helpful. Um, And then when it's all ready to go, um, registering the copyrights, which still can take a year or more to get your certificate back. Um, it's a, it's a long process. They backdate it to the date you submit your materials. So you kind of get that benefit, but you still don't have it. Um, but I highly recommend if you are like packaging everything up to register it with a copyright office, you cannot file a lawsuit for copyright infringement if your work is not registered. It is a requirement. So Mm. it's not required in general, but if you ever want to actually enforce those rights, it is required. Um, and then for your trademark, just like I mentioned, like, we do a search to make sure no one else is using it or it's not already registered um, with a similar type of product or program. And then the registration process right now, it's about nine to 18 months kind of is our standard turnaround and it can go much longer if you hit uh, speed bumps. So um, that is something you want to probably do sooner rather than later. But it, any, yeah. if you are giving people the right to call themselves a whatever, a paradigm consultant or, a, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we have the legal roadmap is our um, trademark, you know, a legal roadmap, whatever, um, you know, you want to have that locked down before you're letting other people use it. Yeah, for sure. I love that. So those are the, those um. are the big ones. And then the like the contracts around your certification are incredible. Like that's probably more important, frankly, than any of the other things that we've been talking about. Um, yeah. So making sure that you have really, really solid terms for the people that you're certifying. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Um, and people that are listening to this that feel connected to you, that want a lawyer that knows what's up with all of this, um, they will definitely check out the links that we're going to provide in the show notes and the resources that you provided there. Um, but they essentially would just reach out and say, hey, I need to get my crap together. So let's have an initial <laughs> consult and they'll actually get to talk to you a little bit about this and you can put together a plan for them. 
Absolutely. Yep. We ask people to fill out a short questionnaire just to make sure we don't have conflict. That's one of our legal ethics things. Um, And then if it looks like we're a good fit to help, I will hop on the call. So excited to connect with anyone that this sounds like something you need to do for your growing business. Yay. Amazing. Well, we'll link everything, including your Instagram and all the good stuff um, in our show notes. But thank you so much for being here, Autumn. I know every time we get on a call, we go like so, so, so long. So I'm like really holding back (laughs) right now. But um, you're just such a wealth of knowledge and so easy to talk to. Yeah, I can't wait. It'll be so fun. But thanks for listening, everybody. Okay, I hope you got so much out of this episode. I know I did. I am just so lucky to be able to talk to my friends about these things that know what's going on so then I can learn things that I can use in my business and every episode, but also to make sure that I get to share that knowledge with all of you. Um, So I know a couple things that really stood out to me about this episode was just talking a little bit about her respect for the employment situation in respect to how much things change and how much they develop and how we have to kind of know our place as attorneys and HR people and online business owners and experts and course creators and content creators um, and how we all will eventually overlap if we're serving each other as B2B models, but also how important it is to maintain integrity in what you're doing and making sure that you're always leaning on the people that can really help make sure that you're protected from the ground up. One of my favorite, um, one of my favorite things that Autumn talked about was obviously about kind of her leadership journey and that transition. And I loved a couple things she said, like how she doesn't love the term manager, which is what we found out in so much of our market research and creating our people leader archetype quiz. Um, So if you haven't taken the quiz yet, make sure you go do it. Make sure you get your survival kit um, and just make sure that you're reaching out. Like I love to hear your takeaways from these episodes. I think a lot of this is going to be super informative and helpful for so many of us, especially as creative entrepreneurs. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure you go follow her. Um, Make sure you go follow Autumn and her business and make sure you get the freebies that are posted in our show notes because being on Autumn's email list is something that I personally really love. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next Wednesday. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.